0: Take your Bibles and open up to Colossians chapter one. You guys ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. Okay, good, good. Here's the deal, though. Check this out. I'm not messing around. I'm not messing around today. I got ten points, okay, and we got to get through all ten of them. And so I'm going to do some quick math. If we did four minutes on each point, okay, that gets us to ten thirty, which is when we're supposed to be done. Okay, so if, if we just, if we just, if you guys could just listen four minutes per point, it's up to you guys. I'm going to do my best to teach. And these are four points about Jesus Christ out of the text, starting in verse 13, going to verse 19. And I want you to really settle into this. As I was worshiping, I was starting to freak out just a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I have to teach Colossians? Paul wrote that. I started to get scared. I was like, who am I to teach the Apostle Paul's letter to the church of Colossae? And I began to freak out just a little bit. I actually remembered this story in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter, I can't remember, chapter 18 or something like that, where these guys take it upon themselves to become spiritual. They're like, let's do spiritual stuff. And so they go and they find this guy who's demon-possessed, and they begin to, to try and exercise these demons. And here's how they do it. They say, we exercise these demons by the Jesus Paul preaches. It's like third-party preaching, you know, it's like, uh-uh. Like, you, did you just name drop? What's going on here? And I kid you not, there's this story. And then the demon inside this guy stops and looks at him. And he says, I know who Jesus is. And I know who Paul is. But I don't even know who you are. And then the demon begins to then undo these guys and literally like shreds them from limb to limb. And they're like naked and running around. Their names are the seven sons of Sceva. It's like a rock band. You like, know it's all in the Bible. You guys think the Bible's boring. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible's nuts. (laughs) The Bible actually goes on to say in that region, after this happened, this, this, that, the the gospel exploded, that the men and women saw the power of Jesus in this kind of crazy demonic event. And they took all their Ouija boards and and all their witchcraft and their dungeons and dragons things. You know, they they took all their sorcery stuff and they burned it all. And there was a revival. But here's what I was thinking. I was like, Lord, I, get to, I have to teach Paul, Paul, Paul. These demons in hell knew who Paul was. Like, oh, dude, Paul, we've got to take that guy out. Man. That, guy's, that guy's ruining everything for us. And I began to, in, in humility and confidence, say, Lord. I, I was kind of asking, and I was wondering, but I was also just believing. Lord, is my name known in hell? Is my name known in hell? Are they scared? Does the demons know who Luke Forshed is? And it was a challenge to who I am in my everyday, not just in the pulpit, but in my everyday. And it was a challenge. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, they do. And they should know who I am. And they should know who you are. And they should see our lives and we should know that we're in a battle, we're in a war. And we don't just want to be hypocrites and we don't just want to be imposters, but we want to be authentic and grow. And if you are a hypocrite or an imposter, hey, welcome to the rest of us. And we're doing our best to excel in the things of God and to be authentic And I began to rehearse while I was worshiping there. Ryan was leading us and thinking about my qualifications. If you know me, I had somebody ask me the other day, they they were visiting from Texas three weeks ago. You ever been to Texas? Me neither, don't go. I'm just kidding. Rory, Texas, Bill. And, And this lady, she said, where did you get your training? At the end of the sermon. And I was all, Jackson County Jail. And she said, what? I said, I don't have any training. I don't have any training. I got to you know, the Lord, he called me. And I'll tell you what, guys. I, I just, I'm so excited at who Jesus is. at The platform he's made for you and for me. And Paul, teaching Paul today. Paul was not just a non-believer. Paul was an enemy of Christ. He was against Christ. He killed Christians. He was a bad guy, a bad, bad, bad guy. Thought he was a good guy. And some of you here have done bad things. You thought you were doing the right thing, but you're doing the wrong thing, and you're off course, and you're, oh. And the fact that God can save Paul, that's his testimony, and then use Paul. And the fact that God can save me and use me. And so our confidence comes not from our qualifications, listen, but from our Savior, from our Savior. Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae. Let's just say he writes it to the church at South Beach also. He's writing to us. And he sees the church at Colossae and he sees them from a distance. He's never been there. And and this is what's considered a polemic letter. That means it's an argumentative letter. He's like, okay, okay, okay. I see you guys are getting pulled in the wrong direction. So I'm gonna write you a corrective letter. I don't want you to get into this ditch. I don't want you to get into that ditch. I want you to stay on the road. I don't want you to replace Christ with philosophy. I don't want you to replace Christ with carnality. I want you to put your eyes firmly on Christ, holy. And it's Paul. I just geek out when Paul writes this. Paul, Paul was so convinced, so changed to the man and the person of Jesus Christ that he gave his life, breath, and death to the glory of Jesus Christ that even the demons knew who he was. And that's what I want for my life and for your life as well. Would we run strong for the kingdom that's going to last forever? For the kingdom that is coming. Would our lives count? For the glory of God. Let's pray and ask God to bless these ten points. We're we'll probably only gonna get through three, let's just be honest. <laughs> Jesus, we need you and we love you, and I pray, God, your blessing upon this church, Lord. Not just this church, but the churches all over, Lord, your church. The men and women who love you. Father, there is a war. And it's not economic, it's not political. It's not medical, it's spiritual. It's a spiritual war. And we pray for your word, for your truth to give us light that we might go upon our path, that we might fight well. Heal us, Lord. Those who need healing, heal. Those who need deliverance, deliver. Those who need convincing, convince. Those who need rebuke rebuke. Those who need more ammunition, Lord, fuel them. Get them a new clip, let's go. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you'd be honored in what we do. I need your help, Lord. You know where I'm at, you know where I've been, you know what's going on. We give it all to you in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Let's read verse 13. Paul is now talking about all that Jesus has done. All that Jesus is. If you want to understand the four chapters in the heart of the book of Colossians, it's all about Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he's done, and how that then impacts our lives and tells us not to do these things and to do these certain other things. Paul has told us how to produce fruit in hard times in the first chapter. He's told us how to pray for those we love. We talked about that two weeks ago. Seven things to pray for your life and the lives of others. And now he segues. It's almost like his eyes glisten and he looks up and he begins to talk a long time about Jesus Christ because this is what his whole message is about. That it's Jesus changes everything. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is real. Jesus takes lives right where they're at and changes them to the place where they need to be look at verse 13 he starts it this way this is how it all starts for all of us by the way he has delivered us from the power of darkness stop right there eyes up here the very first thing that needs to happen in your life to become a christian jesus has to deliver you from the power of darkness darkness we you understand darkness don't you as soon as they get dark you go to sleep don't you Man, as soon as it gets dark, you don't just go to sleep. You start to do sneaky stuff. You ever done sneaky stuff at dark? You know, and darkness kind of has this understanding around all of us. It's just kind of a dark time. It's a dark season. It's a dark song. It's a dark region. It's a dark whatever. Darkness, And and Paul says, "You know what Jesus has done? He's delivered us from the power of darkness." As I was thinking this through and just relating this to my own life, that's how my testimony started. Man, I was so dark. My life was so bad. When I, when I moved to Ashland, I was already deviant in my heart, and I was wrestling, and, and I got to Ashland. I remember one time I was in Ashland just early. I just got there, went to college, went to wrestle there at SOU. I remember one day it was sunny out, and I was sitting on, the, on this, this hill, and I was just looking at all these college kids, and I was like, where are their parents? I, I, was, I was like, this is crazy. We're all a bunch of 18, 19-year-old kids, and no one's here to watch us. This is not going to go well for any of us. And I just knew that, and then I became like the ringleader of not going well for any of us. I remember, I can't tell stories, I only have four minutes per point, but I remember at the dorms where I lived, man, it was crazy. Listen, I, I, I confess, oh Lord help me. It was crazy until I moved out. And then I went back to visit the dorms, I was like, why aren't you guys crazy anymore? Like, because you left crazy, man, like you were the problem. It was bad in that God delivered me from the power of darkness. Now let me just help you to understand something, Okay. You, like me, have been delivered from the power of darkness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, it describes the power of, of sin over our lives has been broken. Okay, it's been paralyzed. It's been set aside. But we still have three very important, hope you're taking notes, three very important relationships. And the first thing you're going to write down is Jesus Christ has delivered us from darkness. That's point number one. And here's the point under that. We still have three relationships with sin we must deal with. Number one, the power has been broken. Praise God. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to succumb to the temptation when it calls you anymore. You don't have to. You've been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. The power's been broken. Not only is the power broken, but the penalty's been paid. That's good news. Somebody say amen. The penalty's been paid. Jesus Christ has broken the power and paid the penalty. If you have sin like me, you got your hands caught in a cookie jar, you're in trouble. Jesus Christ said, oh, he's mine. Put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. Jesus has paid for you. Here's the point I want to stress, though. Penalty paid for. Power broken. Presence of sin is still here. It's still here. I see your Facebook. I see you. The presence of sin, like it's still here. We fight until we die. That's why when you got saved, you were given a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit, a shield of faith, a belt of truth, some boots, combat boots, the okay, cave of the gospel. Because you're in a war right now. And I just want to underscore, He has delivered us. It's all about Jesus. He's delivered us from darkness. But man, it's a fight. And if you're like me, you're still fighting. You're still fighting. Every single day is a fight. A fight to be more holy, a fight to be a man of integrity and a man of character. As a matter of fact, I was reading through the qualifications of leadership. They're in the book of Titus. We just read that a couple of weeks ago and a couple of days ago. And, and in Timothy. And almost all of the qualifications for being an elder or a leader or a deacon, they're all, they're all character issues. It's just character. You know, we, we wonder, like, well, I didn't go to this college. It doesn't matter. How's your character? And I just want to stress and encourage you that the power's broken. Don't fall for it anymore. You don't have to. Say no. Just no. Okay, ask the Lord to empower you. And the penalty, don't stress about your sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. Forgive yourself, forgive others, get over it. Pastor Al Garner, I talked to him on the phone yesterday. He called me from uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona. And we were talking and praying. And, and he had a Bible at one point. We were in the ministry together in Ashland. And he had engraved on his leather Bible on the front. You know what he had on, the, on there? Get over it. <laughs> That's not funny to me. It's not to you guys. Get over it. Like, you know, like, what's wrong? What are you dealing with? Hey, let me just look up a, get over it, you know, move on. But let me just again say, the, pa- the presence of sin, it's a fight, it's a battle. And so the darkness, man, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. It's still dark out though, isn't it? It's getting darker and weirder and wackier, okay? Don't be deceived though. And I'll just say it this way. If you're, if you're not continuing in your battle of sin, or let me say it this, this If you're not continuing your battle against sin, something's wrong with your salvation, if you're still struggling with sin, though, keyword struggling, that means you're alive. I could take a 50-pound weight and put it upon a dead man. That dead man ain't moving. That dead man doesn't care. There's a 50-pound weight on him. If I take a 50-pound weight, though, and put it on your chest, you're immediately going to begin to struggle. Like, whoa, whoa, you're going to move. You're not going to like that. You're going to try and adjust to get out from under it because you're alive. Sometimes we struggle in our sin. And we condemn ourselves so heavily because we're like, oh, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be struggling. Did you know that the non-believing world has no struggle against sin? Okay? They're trying to legalize it, and they're trying to rename it, and they're trying to legislate it, and they're trying to celebrate it. They don't care about sin. Let's get more. You know, the Christian, we know. We're like a sheep that's been pushed into the mud. You push a pig in the mud, the pigs are like, thanks, bro. You push a sheep into the mud; that sheep's gonna be like, "Man, I don't belong here." Same, right? And that sheep's gonna struggle to get out. So I just encourage you guys. Number one, why why is it all about Jesus? Jesus, 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 Jesus changes everything. Number one, verse thirteen, because He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Check this out. He goes on to say, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His Long of His uh, Son of His Love. His lung. the Son of His Love. The, not only has He taken us out of darkness. Listen, He's translated us or conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love wouldn't it be crazy to be just delivered like just rescued from a war and like dropped off and like good luck <laughs> like what i mean that'd be kind of cool like extracted from imminent danger but instead he extracts us from imminent danger and he says hey come live with me you can come be a part of my kingdom like what so i'm not just a refugee with no home but i'm actually saved i'm adopted i'm accepted yeah, oh yeah you got a place at the table I'm going to read it to you guys. Point number two. Point number two is Jesus has transferred us into his kingdom. That word conveyed means transferred. Verse 13 in the second part. It's a military term, and it literally means once you win over an enemy, you take everything they own. It's yours now. These are my sweatshirts. This is my house. This is my stuff. And, you know, it sounds kind of brutal and stuff. But Jesus says, I am taking hell and the captives and setting them free. The gates of hell shall not prevail against God himself, against the church, against Jesus Christ and what he's done. You've been delivered from the power of darkness and it doesn't stop there, it gets better. You have been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. Is that your identity? I'm I'm not messing with you. You need to have a strong identity in today's day and age. You need to know you are a king's kid. You need to know you're a son or daughter of the most high. This world will pick you off. The committee in your head will pick you off. The sins and the temptations. Man, it's getting crazy. Are you a kingdom kingdom kid? Jesus changes everything. Not only have we been delivered from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his light, he goes on to say in verse 13, no, no, verse 14, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Two points are coming out of this verse. Number one, we've been redeemed that means this word redemption is thick, by the way. Man, it's, it's deep. It's a word used throughout the scriptures to speak to and point to a specific idea of being rescued from slavery, redemption, that we were captive, that we were bought, that we were incarcerated, that we were, we were not our own. And somebody came along and said, yeah, that one, and that one, and that one, I redeemed them. As a matter of fact, this points all the way back to the children of Israel when they were captive in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to send Moses to let my people go. They're going to be redeemed. How? It says right there. In whom we have redemption through his blood. You guys know in, in Egypt they were delivered from Pharaoh by Moses through the shed blood of the lambs. One lamb per a household of 14. And they would take this lamb in and they would keep that lamb and, and they would catch the blood in a, in a bowl. A young lamb. Lammy lamb. They would have the lamb in their house for a couple weeks and they would would name it Lammy lamb. That's what I would name my lamb, Lammy lamb. And you would love this lamb. It's an innocent lamb. It's a spotless lamb. It's a perfect lamb. And that lamb would die. And they would take the blood in a hyssop brush and they would put it upon the doorpost and the side and the threshold and it would be a perfect cross all pointing towards a shadow reflecting the things of Christ to come. How have you been redeemed? Through his blood. You've been delivered from captivity. And he, he stresses these these points and these applications. But not just that, he says in verse 14, in whom you have redemption through his blood, and he goes on to put a point on that, the forgiveness of sins. Point number four, you've been forgiven. Point number three, you've been redeemed. Jesus has done these things for you. It's it's like Paul's repeating himself. he's He's like a pastor I know that is teaching right now. He just repeats himself over and over, you know? If it's not new, let me say it differently. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. It's just it's the same old stuff. You've been forgiven. It's not that you haven't sinned. Wouldn't that be awesome if to become a Christian? You just, you just don't be a sinner? Like, that's the idea. That's the, okay, here's Christianity. It works this way. Just don't sin. Like, that sounds like karate class. Like, this, you know, this sounds hard. Like, I'm going to get a, am I, can I get an F? Yeah, you can totally get an F. It's just don't sin. That's not the good news. Okay, that's philosophy of man. The good news of Jesus Christ is you are a sinner, and yet you have a greater Savior than your sin. Isaiah 53 says that by his stripes, we are made whole, that he suffered for us. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner, but you've been forgiven. This changes everything because the Christianity can become so legalistic and so fearful. Like, okay, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And you see somebody say, you're sinning! You're sinning! You know, it's like, is that the message? Is that what you're thinking about? Or Is it forgiveness? There's this one scene in the book of Acts where Barney, his name is Barnabas actually, but I call him Barney, and he's like the purple elephant, not an elephant, dinosaur, and he's, he's the, the, the son of encouragement. And he shows up and he sees a bunch of ragtag Gentiles meet in a warehouse, it's called South Beach Church, it's crazy, right on the Mediterranean Sea, and he shows up and he sees them, and he sees the grace that was upon them, and the Bible says he was glad. Some people, when they see grace forgiven people, it doesn't make them glad, it makes them mad. Religious people, I've done this before. Seeing somebody walking in their liberty or in their freedom and their joy, you know, and you're forgiven. You're forgiven. <laughs> it changes everything. It changes everything. Well, yeah, but I'm trying not to sin. Good. Don't sin. Sin leads to death. That's, that's a no brainer. But if you struggle with sin, if you have sin, don't forget that Jesus changes everything. How? Because he's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into his kingdom. He's redeemed us, and he's forgiving us. Moving on. Not only that, look at verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus, write this down, point number five, has shown us who God is. <laughs> this is a big deal. Moses was hanging out with God one time. He's like, hey, God, can I see you? He's like, only if you want to die. Like I'm like, you will smoke you right now, but I don't want to do that. So, you know, turn around, I'll, I'll show you my shadow, and it's just going to be kind of crazy. You can't look at me. Did you know that in every Eastern religion, and every false religion, and every pagan religion, and every cult religion, everybody has some definition and understanding of who God is? You can go around and just pull, go to the Bayfront, you can go to Fred Meyers or Safeway, and just, hey, what, what, tell me what you think God is. Everybody will have an opinion. I, I got stories I'm not going to share, I don't have time. Everybody has an opinion who God is, and it's all whack, it's all messed up, it's all wrong. Listen, if it isn't the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's that? I mean, let me me stop right there, because the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, okay, three in one, okay, they're they're all three in essence, and yet they're in, in unison it's the Godhead. It's the Trinity. It's, it's, it's ideas that we don't fully grasp in our mind, but you must fully believe in your heart. Like, hey, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Do you still have questions? For sure. They're all going to be answered in heaven. So when Jesus shows up, he's like, I'm God. Now, a lot of people will say to you, Jesus never said that. Put John 33 up there or John 10, 33, if you have that for me, Dave, in the back. This is what the Jews said to Jesus in John 10 while he was preaching to them. I think, I think we have it. Maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll look it up. John 10, 33 is it coming up. Jesus said, no, no, they said, how come do we have this memorized? I should have it memorized. Is it up there? John, 13, 10, John 10, 33. Coming. I'll read it to you. The Jews answered Jesus saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, listen, and because you being a man, make yourself God. They killed Jesus Christ, age 33. He's the best person to ever live. Most beautiful, greatest person, most humble, most intriguing, most kind, mo- most merciful, most compassionate, most loving person. I'm, I mean, don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought about, like, if you could kill anybody who you'd kill? It was a long flight. It was a long flight. It's <laughs> weird, you know. I mean, there were some people on this flight. I'm telling you what. No, I'm just kidding. No. No. You guys are off <laughs> you know who you would never kill though like you would never kill Jesus Christ you would never like yeah let's kill that guy that guy's he's ruining everything. unless unless his sin against the Jews he was say like, dude you dude just do it. and even when he was asked point blank hey who, who are you working for He like dude I'm God like deal with it he could have been more calm or collect more suave you know and like not upset so many people and just done, been a cool dude he wasn't here to be a cool dude. He was God in the flesh, which is a trip. A trip. God, he... I'm going to read it to you so I don't think I'm making this up. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the... God's invisible. You guys know that? He's supernatural. He's unseen. You can't see him until Jesus showed up. When you looked at the mirror this morning, and evidently some of you guys forgot to, but when you looked at the mirror this morning, you... It's funny. Because they are so scared. You see yourself, right? That's your image. It's a a perfect reflection of who you are. When Jesus showed up, this word, it's a perfect reflection of who God is. Now, you just got, some of you don't believe that. You got to believe that. Jesus Christ shows us who God is. We don't have any questions anymore. People are making stuff up. Oh, God is, you know, he's a moon. He's a sun. some, Some religions believe that God is a cow. Holy cow, you know. It's hilarious. So funny. He's the image <laughs> of the invisible God. Number six, Jesus is first over all creation. Verse 15, again, he is the image of the invisible God and firstborn over all creation. This word firstborn means, uh, it's the word we get our word prototype, which means he's the first in importance, the first in authority, the first in line. Some cults would take this and say, aha, 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 he's the firstborn. He's actually created. He's born. One time I was, I got a long story. I can't tell it to you. I'll just tell you the, the good part is the, these Jehovah's Witnesses were out canvassing my neighborhood in Ashland and, and I, I, I tricked them into talking with me. It was so fun. And, um, and when they talked to me, I asked them a question and I was washing my car at the time and I said, hey, doesn't the Bible say, I acted like a dummy. I was like, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that like God is like an eternal father? It's not like in Isaiah 9 or something like eternal father, everlasting counselor, prince of peace. Like, does it say eternal father? Is that what it says? And they're like, yeah, of course that's what it says. I said, well, you can't be an eternal father unless you've eternally always had a son. Like it's had, had to always be a son. You couldn't have a son at one point because the Jehovah's Witnesses argue that Jesus showed up at one point in the timeline of creation. Like God was there, for sure God was there, That they'll say, and they'll say, and then Jesus came. He's not God, he's less than God. And yet you can't be an eternal father without eternally having a son. And God has always been three in one. He is firstborn, he's the first. But you know what this really means? He's the firstborn of all creation. He's in charge of everything. Okay. You ever seen military ranks? There's always a first. Somebody in charge of everyone else. Okay. It's Jesus Christ. He's in charge of everything. He's in, and, and Paul is in prison writing the church at Colossae saying, guys, this is a great. He's delivered us from darkness. He's transferred us into his kingdom. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's the image of God. And not only that, but he's the first over all creation. And when he helps us to understand that, everything points to him. All history talks about him. Everyone's awaiting him. Jesus Christ is the most important person in the entire world. You know that. He's first over all things. Our timeline itself revolves around the birth and the death of Jesus Christ. B.C., A.D., before Christ, A.D., in the year of our Lord, I do what it's all about Jesus. And they've tried so hard to scrub down. Let's change that. That's too big, you know. It all points to Jesus. The two biggest holidays in the world, Christmas, happy birthday, Jesus, you know, and Easter, welcome back, Jesus. It's all for him. Did you know that the biggest religion in, America, er, in the world is? I don't know if you guys know this. It's Christianity. Okay, over 2 billion people claim to be Christians. Now, whether they're not all Christians or not, that's not my job. But Jesus Christ was born in a small area, okay, like Eddyville. Like he's born in Eddyville, you know, and lives a life, works at the mill. He's a carpenter, you know, and goes to Eddyville High, you know, the eight-man football team. is just super small. <laughs> How's that guy going to change the world? He didn't even live a full life, 33 years old. Well, because he is the first overall creation. Paul is making sure the church at Colossae knows this because they're in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. If you don't know these things, man, you're, you're in trouble. You know these things? You're good. I'm forgiven. I'm delivered. I'm transferred. I know who God is. He showed himself to me. By the way, did you guys read 1 John 5, 5? That's cool. But in our reading, in our reading we're reading 1 John 5, 5. In, in, in 1 John 5, 5, John says, hey, the reason I'm writing this is that way you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You gots to believe. You gots to believe. Paul's doing the same thing. Not only is he the first of all creation, check, check it out in verse 16. And let me just make sure some of you are listening with your critical eyes still. Maybe, maybe at home. This excites me. Jesus is first. Like I just, let's let Jesus be in charge. He knows what he's doing. I can't believe, let me just, let me just time out from my notes here for a second. I can't believe Jesus came to this earth and rescued us. Some people are mad, like, how can Jesus be the only way? That doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I believe Jesus is the only way. I can't believe he came to make a way. Why would he come rescue us? Why would he make a way? People are mad. You can't be so exclusive, you Christians. You can't be so exclusive. It's like, you know what? If I'm going to create heaven, I'm going to have no way in for you guys. <laughs> I mean, we're talking no way in. Like, where's the door? There is no door. Is there any way? No, no way. No truth. No life for you guys. God's so merciful. He said, hey, Jesus, let's make a way. Let's make a way. How are we going to do it? You're going to go die. You're going to go die. You're going to forgive, and you're going to make a way. And if you believe this, by the way, okay, you're a child of God. Are you imperfect? Me too. You a work in progress? Yep. If you're a believer, though, read First John 5. If you're a believer, man, it is crazy. You're, you're so blessed. You're just it. You're it. You're it. You believe this? And if you don't believe this, why is Jesus the first? Why can't we share with a few other people? Look at verse 16. Here's why. Paul tells us in verse 16, for by him all things were created. (laughs) Because Jesus made everything. Write that down. Point number seven. Jesus made everything. And if Jesus made everything, he gets to be in charge. Does that make sense to anybody but me? Like you, you, you go to someone's house, like I don't like where you put this couch. Like you don't have to sit on it. Get out of here. You ever go to someone's house and just criticize That's a dumb painting. You're gone. Like, Jesus puts the couch where he wants, he puts the paintings up he wants. He, he made everything. I'll read it again, verse 16. For by him all things were created. He gets to make the decisions. He gets to be in charge. Ryan, when he was leading us in worship today, he alluded to the fact of the elders in heaven worshiping the multitude. And, and Ryan shares that with us from time to time, that scene. And, and if you believe the Bible and believe in Jesus, you'll be part of that future scene. You'll be there. Like, and I, I one time I was worship, I was praying, and, and the Lord gave me a vision of that scene, and I was part of the multitude worshiping. And I looked down to my left, and there was more people than could than you could see. And I looked to my right, and there was more people than you could see. And we were all on our knees worshiping. And the biggest thought that came to my mind, mind in that moment was, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. That I get to worship Him that I've been included, that I've been invited, that, oh my goodness, because he is everything, and he's so kind, for by him, all things were created, Jesus made everything, he goes on to say, in heaven and on earth, you ever tripped out on the heavens and the earth, you ever just like freak out a little bit, I mean, I just flew over the, 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 the Pacific Ocean, man, it's a big ocean, there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's important that we look at the creation and how big the world is and trip out and give all glory and credit to God and say, he made this. And he made it, Psalm 19 says, so we would know who he is, so we would know his attributes and his handiwork. So, so we would get saved, so people would see sunrises and sunsets and stars. And when you look at the things that God's made, it's intended for you to become a worshiper and become saved. He's made all of earth and all of heaven. As a matter of fact, let me just give you a few illustrations for this. If the earth okay, were an apple seed and the sun were a basketball, okay, the sun would be in the kitchen right back there, that's about 30 yards away, something like that, maybe, maybe a little closer, and, and it would, that's about how far, but the next star, okay, the sun's a star, the next star would be in New Zealand, okay, 6,000 miles away, the next nearest star to our planet, it would take eight minutes to leave here today to get to our star, the sun, 93 million miles away at 186,000 miles per second, the speed of light, which is the speed I tried to get here at church this morning, but if you, if you, it would take eight minutes to get to, the kitchen, and then to get to New Zealand at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. You could go around planet Earth seven times in one second. That's how fast it is. Now can imagine, let's go to the next star, Luke, that'll be fun, that'll be fun. And So you pass the kitchen and you go to New Zealand, and you have to travel that distance at that speed for 4.3 years, just to get to the next star. So That's two stars. You guys ever seen more than two stars out at night? Like, There's a lot of stars. <laughs> And they're further away than you can imagine. The stars, they're crazy. You know, if you take our star and you just take a spoonful of our sun, just one spoonful of our sun, it weighs five pounds. It's very dense. Okay, just one spoonful. It's like oatmeal. It's just crazy, you know. It's funny. A spoonful of the sun. Did you know that if you take a spoonful of a neutron star, a neutron star is a star that has exploded and collapsed and exploded and collapsed. It's reached its end of its life and it's exploded and collapsed and it keeps getting more dense and the matter just keeps. keeps, If you take a spoonful of a neutron star, guess how much it weighs? Not five pounds. It weighs four. Listen, listen, listen. Four billion. Listen, tons. One spoonful. Like at Thanksgiving, you're like, I'm gonna pass on that. You know what, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, nah, I see you. Oh, you can't get me. Just four billion, what is four, four billion tons is actually the weight of Mount Everest condensed into one spoonful. Because Mount Everest, you guys might know this, Mount Everest is mostly space rather than matter. There's electrons and protons and neutrons all spinning around, and within everything that c- c- comprises matter, there is more space than matter. So, if you took all of the space, all the particles, out of the atoms away from Mount Everest, you could fit it on a spoon. This is it's science, by the way. Okay, God made all this; He made all of heaven and earth. Now, Paul here, he he he's been given revelation. He said God made all this. He didn't even know how all this works. Jesus made everything, not just in heaven but on earth. You ever tripped out on earth? Man, earth's crazy. There's so many I love to just geek out on God's creativity because we think we're creative, right? Like, I'm pretty smart. No, dude, you're not smart. (laughs) I'm a creative. No, you're not a creative. You got, you know, (laughs) I'm trying to be nice. I'm not trying to be nice. God is creative. God is smart. We were in Hawaii a couple days ago. Can you put that picture up there of of my son? He's got this shirt. Dave, I don't know if we're gonna see this. I, I saw my son, I was in Hawaii, and I was like, I was like, son, don't move. And, and, you know, when somebody says that, he's like, what is it, an alligator? <laughs> you, know, ah! you know, it was this little guy. but the next one, get a little closer, okay? And I, I was like, Noah, there's a ladybug, okay, that looks like a robot on your shirt right now. And there it, and there it is again. This is a ladybug in Hawaii. They have red eyes. And uh, I say that to say this because I've always uh, quoted this stat. We see red ladybugs and spotted ladybugs. Did you know how many ladybugs God decided to create when he created ladybugs? There are 5,000 different species of ladybugs. And we found one in Hawaii. The thing flew away. Did you know that God created 20,000 species of bumblebees? 20,000. John, the beekeeper here. 20,000 bees. Did you know that there are 35,000 different types of spiders? It's because the world's cursed. (laughs) Next time you kill a spider, just be like, you gone, really? One less. 35,000. Not 35,000 in number, 35,000 in species, spiders. Did you know God in his creativity is creating everything? God, I'm reading this to you, so don't, don't miss context. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. Everything. God is so created. Do you know leeches? Leeches, little small, little blood-sucking leeches, have 32 brains? I mean, how bad would that suck? Right? I don't even get it. Like, 32 brains? Like, oh, I got a headache. Like, I don't know what's going on. It's God's creative and next time you go for a walk and see those organ slugs and you see stuff and man and we were in Hawaii it was so cool because the Lord just blessed our trip and as we were taking a, a, a ferry from Maui to this the island of Siletz going, going across there uh, we, we had a rainbow a couple, couple of rainbows the Lord gave us in the first couple of days and to me the, the Lord just reminds me He just Luke I love you so much the rainbow is a promise of God's love he gives me rainbows, personally, when I need them. And, and then the second day, we saw two sea turtles, just kind of right off the bat. And, but what we really wanted to see was dolphins. And every day we'd go to the beach, I'd pray. I'd say, Lord, if you're real. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. No, no. But I would pray. Lord, I would like to see some dolphins today, you know. And, but then I would kind of ask, like, do you really want to see a dolphin while you're out here on the sub Like, you know, because I would freak out. like, shark! You know, and I would, I would panic. I don't know that a dorsal fin is a dorsal fin. I don't give a rip who you are. Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Anyways, we didn't see any dolphins until the last day, and we were leaving the island of Saletz, and we were on this ferry going back to Maui, and we were on this ferry, it's a 45-minute drive or flight, whatever it's called, ride, and and, we were, and all of a sudden, my wife pointed to the back of the boat. She said, look, dolphins, and we looked, and there was a pod of about 100 or so dolphins freaking out, just going. They were like teenagers, man. They were just partying in the back of the wake there, and just, just diving over and over, just hundreds of them. I was like, no way, it was so cool. And I was just thinking about, where are those dolphins going? Where's the Starbucks under the sea? Where are they at? Where are they going? And it's just so magical. And we don't even know what's going on. Jacques Cousteau, man, he couldn't even scratch the surface underneath the sea. It's so deep. It's so God. And Paul is saying, church, church be encouraged. Jesus made everything in heaven and on earth. And not just the the visible stuff. He goes on, look at this. He says the invisible stuff. Visible and invisible. Just tucked out away. Anybody afraid of the boogeyman? You afraid of, you know, afraid of weird stuff? Like, oh, I don't know. It's like, don't worry about it. God's got it. He made invisible stuff too. And I can get the, the, the normal stuff, you know. Have you ever seen a baby in the womb? Seen those ultrasounds? He made that. You got that picture of the eye there? Put that picture of the eye up if we got that. This is a human eyeball. Maybe it's not going to come up. It'll come up next service. There it is. What? Isn't that gross? I mean, I just want to start worshiping. Not the I, worshiping the creator. Just think about our Lord. And he made the invisible and the visible. He goes on, look at verse 16. We're almost out of time, but we're going to get it. We're going to do it. Visible and invisible. And then Paul goes ahead and fills in the blanks. Lest you get scared, lest you get stressed, lest you freak out. He says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he kind of just lists, Paul does this oftentimes. he's like, hey, I don't want you guys to uh, miss anything, so I'm going to point to all four corners, and I'm going to point in all different directions, and I'll just, invisible too, he made them all. He's in charge. It's a crazy world we live in right now, isn't it? You don't know who to trust. Right, you don't know who to trust. It used to be we didn't know who to trust outside of the nation of the USA, remember that? Like, you didn't trust the, no offense, but we didn't trust, you know, nations, you know, Iraq and Cuba, you're like, I don't know what's going on over there, I'm scared, you know. And now it's like, I don't even know who to trust here. I don't know who to trust in all the thrones and the dominions and the principalities and spiritual warfare. And it's this the devil. It's this me. Is this the government. Ah, and let me say something. This is big. This is outside of my pay grade. Like what Paul's talking about here, that Jesus Christ made all this stuff. And one of the good news though, it's not outside of his pay grade. Okay. Jesus Christ is over it all. I'm going to read it again. It says visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. What's going on in Iraq or Cuba or Afghanistan or Washington or Salem or the city of Newport or your job, your boss, or any kind of anybody, anybody, any authority, they are under him. This is great news. I do not need to stress. I do not need to worry. I do stress. I do worry. I wonder. God knows it all. He is over all things. And while I still have some questions, okay, I don't know who to trust. I don't know what's really going on. Really, it comes down to how this relates to my personal life. Is he in charge of the things of my life? Look at verse 16b. It says, all things were made through him and for him. So that means if you want to experience the highest of purposes in your life, you need to do what he's designed you to do. The whole world's crazy right now. I don't want to pick on the world. It's too easy. Okay, the world has pushed away God, claiming to be wise, Romans chapter one, and therefore becoming fools. Okay. And it's the world's just, it's gone mad. And that's not my problem. My problem is, is Lord, am I living my life for you? Everything is by you and for you. Like do you do like any, and if somebody makes something for themselves, okay, they made it and it's for themselves. Wouldn't it be wise to ask them like how it works? What's this for? And to use it that way. One of the scariest things that we have to deal with is our free will. You guys ever made a decision you regretted? Three of you, awesome. This is the holy service, holy service. I've made some decisions, and I say that to say this because we're so smart. Man. I'm so, so smart. It's like, no, you're not. You, you've made some really bad decisions and you're gonna make more bad decisions. God's given us free will and you're gonna regret that someday. So what you should do with your free will, James says this, what you should do is go to God and say, hey, God, what do you think? How's this work? How's marriage supposed to look? how's singleness supposed to look look Lord how's my, my, my family supposed to look what's my job supposed to look what, do, you, do you have any instructions Lord do you have an instruction for your design are all things made by you and for you is that really true and when you check in with him you're not going to do silly things with your life imagine if my wife sent me to the store to buy a new trash can for the garage and so I go to Toby Marie right across the street and I buy myself a brand new Toyota Tundra imagine and I drive home and I park it in the garage and I say honey I got a brand new trash can it's so sick the nice thing about this trash can is it's spacious, it's roomy, it's four doors, and you open the door, and you just throw the trash in, and you shut the door, and you can't even smell it. <laughs> and, I, and I throw coffee grounds in there, and eggshells, and whatever else we throw away at our house, you know, and all this stuff, and man, I think I can just pack it in. It would work as a trash can, would it not? But it it'd be wrong. And we've made decisions in our lives. I have. I've trashed my life. Done it wrong. I'm just going to go on record right now. All th- Listen, all things were created in verse 16 through him and for him so that's a pro tip of the day uh, two more things oh three more we got oh my gosh we gotta we gotta hustle it's, it's, we're gonna do it look at verse 17 and he is before all things and in him all things consist number eight jesus holds all things together i'm not going to go into great depths in this i would just say this simply Jesus is holding all things together. We just studied in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, where Peter has seen the future, and he says, in the future, all of the elements are gonna melt, boom, with a huge sound and flames and chaos, and it's gonna be an atomic explosion before atomic explosions were a thing. And he predicts that's what's gonna happen, because I just described to you the atoms and the neutrons and the protons and the electrons all being held together. Science to this day cannot explain how they're all being held together. They don't know. Verse 17 tells us, Jesus got it. And one day, Jesus will say, you know what? How's the kingdom? And the angels will look at the board and say, it's full. And Jesus will say, okay, let's do over. And he's going to let go. And when Jesus lets go of those atoms, neutrons, electrons, and protons that are being held together, there will be an atomic explosion. Not because of mankind, World War Three, and all that stuff. It's going to be Jesus simply saying, let's start over with my kids. Let's start a new heaven and a new earth. He holds all things together, and I got to make this application and ask this question quickly because we're out of time. How many of you guys still have questions about the end times and how it's going to go? Anybody have any questions besides me? Okay, nine of you. The rest, let's talk later. Tell me how it works out. We all have questions about the end time. Let me make a personal application. All, I'm reading verse 17 again, and he is before all things, and in him, all things consist. You know what matters most to you? Is Jesus holding your life together right now? Is he holding your singleness, your marriage together? Is your life falling apart? Let me ask it differently. If your life in any single area, emotionally, relationally, physically, financially, is falling apart, it's because you need to spend more time with Jesus. It's that simple. You need to go back to the spot where the blessings come out. You need to go back to the glue that's holding you together. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is real. Jesus, please, Jesus saves all Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that to the day I die. I love meeting with people for counseling. It's like, okay, let's talk about Jesus. I thought we were going to talk about my marriage. Pfft, nah. Boring. I I kid. But let's talk about Jesus and your marriage. I talk to myself, the counsel in my head. Jesus holds it all together, both the big and the little stuff in your life. Number nine, we're almost done. Jesus is head of the church. Maybe we'll touch on this next week. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Paul is simply saying Jesus loves the church. It's very, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a coolness nowadays and maybe throughout all of history to be critical of the local church, to be an enemy of the local church, to disband from the local church, to disengage, to be whatever. There's a, it's, let me just say something. That's Jesus' church, and he loves the church. I've been to some kooky churches. You've been to some kooky churches? Okay. This is a kooky church, okay? <laughs> no amens, no amen, just like, okay. And I have disciplined myself to say, you know what? I'm going to love that church. If Jesus hits the head, He's the bride. He's the bride. And if any one of you start talking bad about my bride, I'm going to punch you. (laughs) Right? I mean, gently, but swiftly. And I would just say, if you're part of the church, if you're part of local church, know that Jesus is the head, and he tells us what to do. Just like my brain right now is actually in charge of everything. Everything we're experiencing right now, hands, feet, everything. You're the hands and feet. Jesus is the head. And lastly, finally, this, and I'm going to... Clean up on these two points. The last point is this. Jesus completely satisfies the Father. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. He's not done talking about Jesus. I'm done for the day. I'm gonna do this again at the next service. He's gonna keep talking about Jesus. (laughs) This is a church in Colossae that's gonna suffer. This is Paul in prison who's gonna die. Hey, Paul, what's our escape plan? Oh, no, we don't have one. How are we gonna retaliate? That's not what we're doing. What's our combat mission? No, no, no. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's be a blessing to Jesus. <laughs> you want your problem solved today? Seek to be a blessing to Jesus. At work, got some angry customers. Is your body falling apart? Are you suffering? When I suffer, I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit I don't suffer well all the time. I usually I'm, I'm a baby. I don't want to sing. I don't want to worship. I don't want to pray. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be awesome if we said no? It's all about Jesus. I'm good. I'm good. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for this time. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, as simplicity would be taken from today's teaching, not a complexity, not too much, Lord. No glory to Luke for Shep, but instead of simplicity that Jesus saves. Jesus changes everything that we would leave here today, and we would forgive ourselves. We'd be redeemed. We'd be transferred into that kingdom of light. We'd have the power of darkness broken over us. We'd give you all credit and glory and honor. We'd see you in the creation, and we'd look to you in all thrones, dominions, invisible Visible, invisible, everywhere, and we'd be a part of the church, and we'd know that the Father is fully pleased in Jesus. And if He's fully pleased in Jesus, He's fully pleased in us. Bless us, Lord, as we go. Thank you for the Sunday school workers that taught long. Thank you for people that are looking for parking spaces right now. We love you, Jesus, and we lift up this week to you. So many cool things, Lord. Middle school Monday tomorrow. So pumped, Lord. Celebrate recovery on Tuesday, and I get to go to OSU and, and on all the other announcements. Prayer on this Thursday, and women's Bible study on Wednesday. So fun, Lord young adult group, Lord, we love you, we bless you, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen.